0: Um, Today's Bible reading um, continues through the Gospel of Mark. So can we turn our Bibles to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 8, verse 22. It's on page 1011 of the Red Bible. I hope you are there. They came to Bethsaida, and some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. When he had spat on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, Do you see anything? He looked up and said, I see people. They look like trees walking around. Once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. Then his eyes were opened, his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. Jesus sent him home saying, Don't even go into the village. Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea, Philippi. On the way he asked them, Who do people say I am? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. But what about you? He asked, Who do you say I am? Peter answered, You are the Messiah. Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. May the Lord add his blessings to the reading of his word. Amen.
1: Let's pray together for that blessing. Lord, we thank you for uh, this, this story, this gospel, this good news that Mark has written down for us, that we get to read and think about and learn from. And Lord, uh, today we come to really what is at the center of what Mark wants us to hear and understand, and so we pray that you would give us ears to hear and eyes to see and hearts to understand who Jesus is and what he has done, that you, you would enable us by your spirit to respond in faith. In your name we pray this. Amen. Um, it's an old show now, but I, I, guess, I think most of us must have seen it. Secret Millionaire. Have people seen that? Do they know what that is? Okay, well I'll have to explain it to you then, won't I? Um, it, it was on Channel 4 about 10 years or so ago. Um, and the premise of the show is, um, it's real life stuff. Uh, millionaires go undercover for a week and they move into like the poorest communities of a city like Birmingham. And, and they, um, they go and kind of live on, you know, amongst the people, um, uh, and, and they get involved in local community and projects and they just look like they're another regular poor person, basically. Um, they live on kind of rations and that, and that kind of stuff. But really, they're a millionaire and secret millionaire, that's the, that's the name <laughs> of the program. Um, at the, what they do is they're basically actually investigating they're trying to understand what life is like in that kind of community and for that kind of person, and, and investigating that. And so, at the end of the week, they reveal their identity. Identity, actually, I'm a millionaire, and they give like gifts of like tens of thousands to individuals or charities or people. They've basically they've been doing that for the weeks. So they can find people who they think are worthy of receiving some money, and they give uh, gifts to these people. Now, whatever you think of kind of that concept, I think. It's interesting, it was on 10 years ago. I don't think it would translate so well today. I don't think people would receive it. But anyway, the interesting thing is this, and this is what I want to pick up on, on from, from the sequel millionaire. Nobody realises the true identity of those millionaires. Nobody realises it because the first appearances are deceiving. They just, uh, there might have been one or two episodes where they really couldn't put it off because they were like, I don't know, too, you know, using posh words or something. I, I, I don't know. But, but generally, people were really surprised when they found out. First appearance is deceived. And so people thought they knew who this new friend was, just like another person like me. They thought they could see clearly, but they needed their eyes to be open. They needed this moment of revelation to see. And everything changes when they finally saw the truth about who this person was. And suddenly they had a load of money, you know, in some cases. You see, it's it's possible for us to think that we see clearly and yet be missing the most important thing. Similar thing going on in Mark's gospel, minus the deception bit. But a similar thing where we've got this story of Jesus. We've been going through it since, um, since September. Most of us have been here. Uh, and it's this fast-paced and this kind of frenetic action of this story. You're going from one scene to the next. barely. Mark's kind of not even really linking them together sometimes. And it's kind of miracle followed by healing, followed by parable, followed by more miracles. And this place and the other and traveling around and crowds. And, and it's all going on like this. Kind of think of the, the 24-hour news cycle. And when you get like a big breaking story, it's just, you watch that, it's really entertaining. It's fast-paced. They've got an interview here. They've got another thought here. They've got stats from there. And, and it's moving and going quickly. There's always new stuff emerging. And so it feels like there's no time to analyze and think, what is going on here? What's happening? Actually, all of these stories, all of these events, all of these conversations have actually been kind of coming together Bring in this single question before us. Every interaction, every event, every little comment from Mark, every conversation. And it's been bringing this question that hasn't quite been answered. And the question is this Who is Jesus? Who is this man? It was actually asked in in chapter 4, I think verse 41, in the context of the storm Who is this man? Who is Jesus? That's the story that's just kind of been there, kind of all the way through the last few months. Now Mark isn't subtle, we've seen this already, and he answered that on page one, line one. The very first words, we saw it in our first uh, talk on Mark, his title, he says, this is the good news of Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. Straight away he's told us who Jesus is. But the thing is, is that nobody else gets it. That's what we've been seeing through the story. You know, it might seem obvious to us as we follow the story, but just remember it's easy with hindsight, isn't it? You shouldn't be so harsh on those who were there first time. Here's another old, I've got loads of old references today. Um, this comes out of the 90s. Sixth Sense. Yeah, more of us have seen that, surely. Okay. Um, and I'm not going to spoil it if you haven't. Bruce Willis film from the 90s. What happens in this film is there is a massive twist at the end about the main character. I'm not going to tell you what the twist is, so you can still watch it. No, because I haven't actually said what the twist is. Um, I've half spoiled it. (laughs) But that twist at the end totally changes how you watch the film. And actually, I I haven't done it, but people say, and I can imagine if you watch back the film second time, there's all sorts of stuff that you spot, these signals, these hints, these little signs and indicators that you kind of see it coming, actually, when you know it's there. You missed it the first time, but you see it, uh, you, when you realise it's there, you see it. Well, that's exactly what's going on with Mark. There's things that we can see, kind of knowing the ending and, and knowing what's coming. But but there's this tension that goes through the story with this question of Jesus' identity that people just don't get. And it hangs over everything. And so that's why we got to, um, last week when, when Johnny Toys, we got to verse 21 of chapter 8. It's there on page 1011. And this is the conversation with uh, between Jesus and his disciples, the friends who have been spending a few years with him. And he says to them, do you still not understand? Do you still not understand? Two and a half years in, do you not understand who I am? Johnny explained last week how Jesus was being patient with them and, and some of the reasons why they maybe weren't understanding. But these guys had experienced the miracles, they'd eaten the food that he had miraculously provided. They'd listened to his teaching day after day. they'd witnessed his healings, they'd asked him questions, they'd watched his interactions with other people over and over and over. And they hadn't got the whole point of what it was all pointing to. They hadn't seen what Jesus was showing them by these things. But today, everything's about to change. Because what we read today and what we're going to look at now is where they start to see clearly what has been in front of them all along from page one, line one. And as they see that and as they, as they claim that for themselves, we're going to see that actually the impact on them is massive. Now if we follow with these disciples, have that same experience as them, the impact on us will similarly be Massive. But, but it seems strange, given that's what we're doing, that we've got this healing of this blind man there in verses 22 to 26. It kind of feels like a bit of a deviation from the storyline, a bit of a, a random thing to include, if that's what's going on here with Mark. Totally unrelated. Because Jesus and his disciples, at this point, they're on another journey again. They're traveling, and um, they're having a conversation. And, and if you just look at, at that question in verse 21, do you not understand it would make complete sense to jump over the page to verse 27. And just if that just segued straight into that, where Jesus starts asking them, who do people say I am? It's kind of the continuation of that conversation, right? But in the middle, we've got this healing. What's this healing doing in the middle of this conversation? It seems to just fit together as one piece. Well, listen, there's no accident why it's here, from Jesus or from Mark. Mark is like a brilliant film director who's lacing together the scenes. And by the way he puts the scenes together, it shows us the truth. This healing of this blind man, giving him sight, is a picture. It's a picture of what is happening spiritually for the disciples. The blind man is given restored sight by Jesus. He can see what he couldn't see before. And so the disciples here are getting their spiritual sight restored. They're starting to see who Jesus is. This this healing is really interesting. It shares a whole load of similar features with the other healings in Mark, and um, because they're similarities not gonna pick them out. But there is one thing that is totally unique about this healing in all of Jesus' healings. Anyone spot what it is? I'm welcoming some feedback here. What's the unique thing here? Doesn't happen immediately. Absolutely. Takes two bites at the cherry. It doesn't happen immediately. At first, the man's, we, we read there, the man's sight is partly cleared. Jesus says, do you see anything? Kind of repeat of the same sort of question he's just been asking. Verse 23. And the man says, well, I see people, they look like trees. Well, he kind of can see, like he can see better than he could before, but he can't really see, can he? Because people don't look like trees. But then Jesus continues and his eyes are fully opened. Then his sight is fully restored. And finally, we read he sees everything clearly. Now, we're going to see kind of in later weeks just how relevant this two part healing is when we come to another healing. But we need to see it's not Jesus losing his touch, it's not Jesus kind of power running out, and he, he couldn't manage this one actually. Jesus has done much more difficult things than this. He's raised the dead already in Mark's story, he's healed a chronically ill woman basically kind of incidentally without even trying, it just kind of happened. And he's going to do more miracles after this, as I said. Now, this is on purpose, why he heals this blind man in two stages. Completely on purpose. And it's this picture, it's this parable of how the disciples' spiritual eyes are going to be opened in stages as well. They're starting to get who Jesus is. And we see today that they do kind of get it. Yet as the story unfolds, there's so much more to get. There's so much more to see. So they kind of get it, but, but their vision is blurred. They're, 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 they're confused. It's going to take a lot more of the story to unfold before they see with clarity just who Jesus is. Now I think we can be like that too, can't we? Possibly, for some of us, we've been around church so much and we've heard so much about Jesus. Uh, and we're aware there's so many different opinions and thoughts and ideas about him and who he is that we just don't get him, actually, even if we think we do. Maybe we know we're confused. Or maybe we just don't even think it's possible or necessary to get him, actually. It just doesn't matter. There's so many different reasons, but so many reasons that we might not realise what he's about or why we need him. So many reasons why we might not actually understand or see clearly. You know, it's like watching a film and kind of seeing the film happen, but just missing the whole point and missing what what the whole main character is doing and and who that person is and what they're about. It's like not getting sixth sense. And that's why we saw last week in verses 17 and 18, page 1011, Jesus asked them this, "Do Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see, and ears but fail to hear? Well, listen, today is a chance to be confused no more. Today is a chance to have eyes opened and ears hearing, to start to get the story, because for the disciples, the fog starts to clear. And and we start to see that, and um, by seeing that they get who Jesus is, And we'll see that they get that more and more clearly as we continue through Mark's gospel. And so you've got this little discussion there in verses 27 to to 30 on page 1012. And this brief little discussion, not much that is said, this is the absolute heart of Mark's gospel. If you like, it's the mountaintop. Everything we've been looking at so far, we've kind of been coming up to this point. And then everything we're going to see after this is, if you like, kind of flowing out from this this, this discussion here and as Jesus and his friends travel up to this place called Caesarea Philippi the biggest question of the all comes to the surface and it's this who do you say Jesus is who do you say Jesus is I wonder if just in kind of your own mind and heart you'd answer that for yourself right now not what you think the right answer is. Not what you think. Oh, I'm in church, so this is the answer I ought to think, or I ought to say. Not what you think you, I want to hear you say. What others tell you. Who do you say Jesus is? Maybe good man. That's what many people would say. Maybe a moral teacher. Maybe a prophet, or a religious guru, or a Galilean hippie, or an activist, or a fool, or a revolutionary, or a pacifist, or a healer, or a magician, or God himself. I don't know, those are the sorts of things that I hear from people from time to time, we hear around us. Maybe you go with some of them. Actually, firstly, Jesus asks his disciples the question in verse 27, "Who Who are people saying I am? What are people saying about me? You see, Jesus is causing a right stir, isn't he? And so wherever he goes, he's kind of the talk of the town. And so clearly everyone has got an opinion on him. I think it's interesting, it's the same today. 21st century Birmingham. I reckon if you went into Grand Central, you stopped any random. You said, Jesus, Jesus Christ, who do you think he is? What do you think about him? I'm pretty sure most people would be able to give you an opinion, give you an answer. Pretty sure most people would. Assuming they can, they've got good enough English to understand what you're saying. And I reckon most people would have generally a fairly positive thing to say. They've, they've just got this hunch that he's a good guy. And they'd want to be kind of, I, I don't think many people would want to slate him or, or take him down. But they would think not much more than that, generally. Where they think he's a prophet, good guy, moral teacher, religious leader, whatever. But not much more than that. They'd think talk of being God or talk of being Messiah, that's kind of that's overact Very similar situation back then, verse 28. People think that Jesus is this great religious leader. They possibly think he's one of the greatest religious leaders, but nothing more than that. And they got there one or three ways. Some claim that he was John the Baptist, the guy who'd recently been beheaded by um, by Herod, come back from the dead. John, John's a great religious leader. Others said he was, Elijah returns. Elijah who had been about a a long time before. A great prophet who famously was physically taken up to be, to heaven, to be with God. Didn't die naturally. And then later on in, in, in the Old Testament, actually in the last book in Malachi, there's this promise that Elijah's gonna be like this forerunner for God coming back. So thinking, okay, this is Elijah coming. One of our best religious heroes. Or kind of the lazy man's choices, I don't know, some other prophet, you know, like, I don't know, he's a prophet or something. But all of them together think Jesus is some kind of prophet, some kind of religious leader sent by God to prepare the way for God's rescuing king, God's ruling king. He is not the long-awaited king himself. That is clear to them. Jesus, you come close, but no cigar on that. And the reason for that is that for Jews he couldn't be God's promised king, he could not be the Messiah. Because he was not cut from the right cloth, he's not the right sort of guy, he's not up to spec. God's king was going to be this all action hero, kind of chest puffed out, rich and mighty and powerful and successful and kicking the Romans out and and ruling and reigning and making us a great nation again. He was going to be this military leader who was going to dominate and and, and make us rich and wealthy. And Jesus of Nazareth does not fit that mold. We know about him, don't we? He's the one who comes and he doesn't fit any of those expectations, really. Who the Messiah should be and what he should be like. And so their, their expectations, in actual fact, their prejudices are so set. That when they see him, they can't see him because he's not what they're expecting and what they're looking for. This isn't the Messiah that we want or need. And so they ignore the plain evidence before them. So I wonder if we're similar. We struggle with what the Bible says about Jesus. Because we have these preset ideas of who he should be. Of what he should be like. I don't think many of us are looking for like this military leader to come and, uh, and rescue us from God or something. Maybe some are. But still, Jesus doesn't meet our standards. See, his morality is too restrictive and too traditional for us. Perhaps his, his claims are too exclusive, or maybe his teaching isn't kind of progressive or liberal enough for us. And so we don't like him, and we don't think he can be who he claims to be. We're happy to mine him for quotes or when he does stuff that kind of looks like what we like. we'll, We'll use that for our agenda, but we will not let him show us who he is. We won't let him tell us who he is and what he's come to do. You see, we do have to answer this question for ourselves. Who do you say Jesus is? But what really matters is not what we say, but what Jesus says. And what Mark says, the author of the story here that we're reading. What really matters is what God says. You see, like Jews, it could be that we've read the story, and we've been reading the story, we've been sitting in sermon after sermon, and yet we've missed the whole point. It's entirely possible. That's you today. Well, here's the thing that happens, is Jesus basically eyeballs his disciples after this, as part of this conversation in verse 29, and he asks them straight, he says, what about you? Who do you say I am? And Peter answers there for the disciples, and, and this is the, the great moment. He says, you are the Messiah. You are the Messiah. It's a Hebrew word, in Greek it's Christ. And Messiah and Christ are basically the title for God's chosen leader, for God's King, The one who's going to come and save and liberate God's people, who's going to offer salvation and rescue. It's God himself coming to us. And you notice Jesus doesn't correct Peter and say, no, 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 I'm just a prophet. I'm I'm John the Baptist. No, Jesus' silence in response kind of confirms that Peter is absolutely right. It's not a case of mistaken identity like some people say uh, or it's kind of satirized in, in Life of Brian by Monty Python where Jesus, everyone's calling him the Messiah and, and Mary, Jesus' mum, is to say he's not the Messiah, he's a very naughty boy. You've got it wrong, mistaken identity. No, that's not the case here. Peter's eyes have been opened. His spiritual sight is clearing. What Jesus does say is he tells them to keep under wraps for now. Because he knows that when people get hold of this, there's going to be blood. And he needs time with his disciples for them to see more clearly. So guys, you've got it, but just keep it quiet for now, because we need to talk about this. We need to see this in action. As I said, this is the pinnacle of the gospel. This is the high point. This is the center point. And this is the good news of who Jesus is and what he does that Mark has for us. The good news that Jesus is the Messiah. We've actually seen it. When you think back, you've seen it. Mark told us straight away. God told us when Jesus was baptized. The demons have told us over and over again. But no human person has seen it until now. No person has said it until this moment. The last of caught cotton on. I realise that it probably sounds to us like this Peter calling Jesus the Messiah like if that's the high point of the gospel, is that an anticlimax? That's not that impressive, is it? It doesn't sound like a big deal to us. It sounds like a religious word, it sounds not very relevant. But listen, it should stop us in our tracks. You know, we, we saw when we looked at Messiah before that the title, this is a title, and this title of a person says everything about who they are and, and, and the character that they are. Uh, and the role that they come to fill. Like the title Queen. It says so much about uh, about who that person is and what she can do and and and, and what it demands of her. I, imagine this for a moment. Imagine the, the penny suddenly dropping for you that this mate that you've been hanging around with for the last couple of years isn't just a millionaire, isn't just some kind of superhero amongst loads of other superheroes who've got some special power, like we kind of see in some of our, our films and stuff nowadays. But actually, this mate of yours, who you just think is just an ordinary person, is actually queen or king. And not just queen or king of just some country for their lifetime. But is queen or king the ruler of all history, of the whole universe? Is chosen by God from eternity, one who's going to establish an everlasting kingdom of peace and prosperity? A good ruler, good in every way. Perfect. A ruler who is going to subdue and destroy all enemies and forever be uh, done with the enemies to the kingdom and to the people of the kingdom. A, A ruler who is going to gather all people together, who is powerful over all things, perfect in character, full of love. That's your mate you've just been hanging around with for the last few years. This is a very big deal. This is very relevant to us. This puts Jesus out there all alone in the category of one. And so it means that this question, who do you say Jesus is, it's not just one kind of important question among many or one interesting thing to think about. Actually, it's the biggest question of all. Because one day, Jesus is going to ask you straight up, who do you say I am? One day, he's going to look you in the eyes and he's going to say, who do you say I am? And our words in response then will be the most important words we will ever speak. Because of who he is. Because of what he has done in history. How we respond to him then will be the most important thing we ever say. You know, as, as Brits, we, um, we have refined the art of cynicism, haven't we? So anyone who makes big and bold claims, what do we want to do? We want to do our best to disprove them, take them down... We we, we will disbelieve them till the end. We don't want to be taken in. We don't want to be made fools. We don't want to be gullible. It's not always a bad thing. But listen, some claims are so great and so valuable that even if they seem unlikely to us, they are worth considering further. I shared um, the story at Easter of this, so sorry if you heard this already, but um, this Portuguese aristocrat and um, in 2006, he dies. And he left his inheritance, millions, to 70 strangers who he had randomly selected from the phone book. So he just literally kind of randomly selected names and left his wealth to them, taken hold of. Here we are, we're reading history. We're, he, we're reading incredibly robust ancient history. We're reading these eyewitness accounts of Jesus, from these guys who spent years with him, spent years with Jesus of Nazareth, and here they are calling and claiming that he is God's appointed king of all people, of all time, of all history. Claiming he is the Messiah. Peter, who says this here, he went to live a life of great suffering for that very claim. History has it that he was crucified upside down, defending the truth of that claim. I want to suggest to you that it is worth considering that claim very carefully. It is worth considering your own answer to who Jesus is. It is that serious? If you don't yet understand, please don't um, be content with that. And um, one thing that we can do to, to help people here is we've got this great resource that we, we're, we're using at the moment called Word One-to-One. And it's a chance for you to explore and, and get clarity on the answer to that question if you don't yet have it. We want to help people answer this question. That's what we're about as a church, really. So come and let me know if you think that's right for you or of interest to you, and we'll, um, we'll kind of help you to, to do that. But listen, I know there's some of us here who do say that Jesus is the Messiah, who say personally, yeah, he is my king. And you know, when we say that, it sounds really stupid and obvious, but it means that I'm not king. If he's king, I'm not. I want to say that that's both liberating. It's liberating when you realize your weakness. It's also greatly challenging when you are relying on your own strength. See, earlier, John the Baptist was getting really popular and people were loving him and cl- crowds were flocking to him. And so religious leaders sent people to him to ask him a sim- similar question John, who are you? Are you the Messiah? And we read about John's response in, in um in John's Gospel chapter one. And it's really interesting. John answers that, he it says this, He confessed freely, I am not the Messiah. I am not the Messiah. You see, confessing Jesus as the Messiah dethrones me from being Messiah. Or dethrones me from being king, or dethrones me from being in charge. It's not me that is all-wise. It's not me that is perfect and sinless. It is not me that brings life. It's not me that ultimately has wisdom. It is not me that it is in control. It is not me that can be the solution to any of your problems. See, we need to stop trying to be those things for ourselves and for one another. We need to stop trying to be Messiahs. We need to make it the confession of our lives, I am not the Messiah. But I know one who is. Let's, let's look at him together. Let's learn from him together. Let me tell you about him. He can help you here. What does that look like in practice? Well, John the Baptist, again, he shows us that this strange experience, his whole life and his whole ministry was totally surpassed by his, Jesus, his younger cousin. John was the kind of one who had a more successful ministry at first. What happens is Jesus comes and way surpasses him. You can imagine that's hard for your younger cousin to go ahead of you in your career and you know everything like that. I'm seeing it happen in my family at the moment, actually. And do you know what John says? He responds with joy and he says, He must become greater, I must become less. He must become greater, I must become less. You know, that is the challenge and the long, slow journey of Christian growth. Jesus becoming greater, me becoming lesser. That's what growth in Christian maturity looks like. We say as a church that we're all about helping people love Jesus more and more. Again, obviously, but it means we're not all about helping people love me more and more. We're not all about helping people love you more and more. I don't mean that in another loving way. Hopefully we'll become a more loving church for one another as we love Jesus more and more. We should do. But our central purpose is not all about me. It's not all about you. It's all about Jesus. It's all about the Messiah. And so we point to him and we point one another to him. So I point you to him today. You see, Peter sees it and he calls it and he absolutely nails it here. He gets it spot on. And so you think, well, these guys, and he's speaking kind of on behalf of all the disciples, they get it. They've got it, and and now they kind of, we're going to watch this kind of triumphant thing follow from here. Well, the whole thing is this: two stages of seeing, because as we follow Mark's story, we'll see that they kind of get it, but they don't really get it. They're kind of seeing people as trees at the moment. And so after Christmas, we're going to continue the story in Mark's Gospel. We're going to continue this journey with Jesus and his disciples. And we're going to see that (coughs) as we carry on with that, our spiritual eyes will be opened wider. Be opened more fully so we see with clarity. Actually, the story is going to take a very new direction for us. As we follow the way of King Jesus along a very surprising path. Hopefully that intrigues you and you want to come back in January to see what it looks like to have our eyes fully opened to this Messiah. Let's pray. Lord, we confess, we confess freely that Jesus is the Messiah. And so we are not. We pray that He would become greater and we would become less. We pray that you would show us fully and clearly, with full insight, who he is, what he has done, and what he now offers to us. And help us to receive gladly what it means for Jesus to be Messiah. Amen.